the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're choosing not to be a stumbling block. You're knowing what you believe. You're keeping Christ central. That's what he said. Stay in the center. Don't get out on the margins, focusing on things you shouldn't be. And then I love number four. Don't say everything you think. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. As we navigated raising our children, not long into that journey, we realized that some people were really, really, really passionate about homeschooling. Well, Pastor, if you just want to send your kids to hell by letting them go to those other schools, that's fine. But we're taking control here in our household. And then there were other people that were just as passionate about public schools. I mean, they were saying, well, if you want to just abandon the mission field, that's okay. Let them all go to hell. We're going to put our kids out there and let them make a difference, be the salt and the light. Then there's the people in the middle that went to Christian school and just everybody hated them, both sides. (laughs) And in this church, in every church I've pastored, I've watched people walk out the doors because of differences on these kinds of issues. And then, Lord, how mercy. Don't dare mention politics. Whew, help me, Rhonda. I, I remember a day a couple years ago, I looked back over here. There was an elderly man sitting, and he was so polite. He had taken his ball cap and put it in his lap because he was inside the building. But I could see from here, it was a red Make America Great Again hat. And I looked over here, and on the second row was a young man, African-American. And in his mask that he was wearing, on the front of it, it said, BLM, Black Lives Matter. I remember thinking while I was preaching, in the name of Jesus, if you just help me get out of here, Lord, I'll do everything I can. I don't, how do we survive? And then there are theological issues. There's the soteriological issue. What exactly does it look like how a person's saved? I mean, does does God elect and choose everything? Does he send some people to hell? Or does everybody have a right? Can anybody choose him that wants to? And in this church and every church I've pastored, I've just think about how this sounds. I've had people leave a church because they disagree on exactly how God chooses to enact salvation. And then there's ecclesiology. How should the church be structured? Do you have pastors or elders or deacons? Do you vote on everything or vote on nothing? I mean, who makes the decisions around here? Ecclesiology. And then liturgy. I think we should say the creeds. We don't need to read enough scripture out loud. Or y'all pray too much. How the service looks. You know, it's interesting. 
someone said, in essentials we have unity, in non-essentials we have liberty, in all things we have charity. It's the way it should be. But even on that quote, you know why I said someone said that? Because if you go on the internet, you'll find a bunch of Christians arguing about who actually said that. We can't even agree on a statement about agreement and charity and grace. Here's what I know. In the church, when minor things take the place of major things, the church experiences mission failure. And as I look around our community, as I look around Tampa, I've earned the right to say this now. I've lived here 12 years. We've got more churches in Tampa than we had 30 years ago. There are more people in Tampa than there were 30 years ago. But there are less people in church in Tampa than there were 30 years ago. We're experiencing mission failure. And I think it's because some of us kind of need to do the the neck up, the, the check up from the neck up and make sure we've got our heart and mind right about the majors in our faith. You know, after SpaceX launched that mega rocket this week, I I heard about what happened, and I instantly began to look at the response of Elon Musk. And it was confusing, because he was saying it was a success, but I was looking at the picture, and I'm seeing this big old rocket exploded in the air. Seems like a failure to me. And I think sometimes if we're happy, if our little huddle is happy, we think, man, we've got success. We're comfortable. Things are going good. But when the rest of the world looks within our gatherings, man, it looks like mission failure. So Paul tells us how to manage these things. I'm going to first give you three words, then I'm going to share a couple other scriptures with you and just give you some practical principle. But the three words are where we find our beginning. The first word is acceptance. Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting because the weak person here, it's not what you think. When we hear about weak people and you're saying, hey, be careful because you don't want to cause the weak to stumble. The weak person is not the brand new immature Christian. The weak person he's describing is the legalist. It's the one who's got all the rules. It's the vegetarian. It's the ones who weren't eating meat. And he was saying, you've got to learn to accept them. Your taste, your customs, your culture do not equal spiritual maturity. Can I say that again? Because it's important. Your taste and, and your customs and your culture, they do not equal spiritual maturity. They may not be bad, but they don't make you inherently better. So let's go back to the illustration I gave. I grew up in a church where the preacher, my dad, he wore a suit and tie as long as I ever remember him preaching. And, um, you know, we sang from a hymnal. So it would be easy for me to say, that's the way to do it. And I wish these new people that have all these newfangled ideas and are new in their faith, I wish they didn't try to expose me to all these different ways. But just because that's my tradition or my custom doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it bad either, but it doesn't make it better. Paul was saying, we've got to learn to accept those who differ with us on these issues that are not the majors, these secondary issues of our faith. And regardless of where you are on secondary issues, regardless of your opinions or your preferences, when when secondary issues have become primary issues, you have a problem of pride and self-justification. When we judge others about how they do anything, the problem is back with us and it's self-righteousness. Why? Because remember who we're talking to, Christ followers. 
And the only way a Christ follower can look down their sinful nose at another person is to take our eyes off the cross where Jesus died for our sin. So let me help you structure these things because we're having a family meeting. I think this will help our church, but anyone who hears these words may be encouraged. Theologian Michael Bird structures issues this way. He says, first of all, there are matters essential for our salvation. We sang some of those earlier when we sang that song, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. There are things that are essential for salvation. We just celebrated Easter, the fact that Jesus literally died on the cross and he literally rose from the grave. If you take that away, if you just said that's fiction or that's fable, then the meaning of our salvation according to Scripture begins to fall apart. So there are things we say, hey, you have to believe this if you're going to call yourself part of the Christian faith. But everything's not in that category. There are matters that are important to the faith and the church, but they're not essential to salvation. So does the Bible talk about the role of men and women in a home and in society and even in the church? Yes. Should I try to understand those things? Of course. Is that essential to my salvation? Absolutely not. Does the Bible talk about spiritual gifting and what some would call charismatic worship practices. Absolutely, a lot of detail about that. Should I try to understand it? Yes. Are those matters essential to salvation? No. Then there are third category, matters of indifference. <laughs> They're debatable and non-essential issues. Whether or not you wear a tie to worship, I'm just telling you, it's inconsequential. Whether or not you like this style of music or that style of music, it matters to you but that's not a biblical consequential issue. Remember, we're not talking about accepting sin. We're accepting those who agree with us on disputable matters. So this week I was talking with another pastor and he was sharing an experience of a conversation he had with someone that he had gotten to know in this area. And, and they had attended a church, but they felt led to leave that church. And this pastor said to me, the church that they left practices shunning. And I had not heard that. So I said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? They practice shunning. They said, well, when you leave their church, they tell their members, you no longer can be friends with them. You no longer can talk to them. You no longer need to have anything to do with them. So he said, these people, when they would go in public, if they saw people from their old church, they would literally go down a different aisle to avoid them. Now, I told you, I've never heard it described that way, but I've experienced that at Publix too. And it's not okay, is it? Let me explain something to you. If God's not made something a barrier to our relationship and communion with him, why should it become a barrier to our relationship and communion with other people? Be careful. Don't let your convictions diminish your compassion. Last week, I told you that often the main thing is the plain thing. And the plain thing in Scripture, it's, it's very clear. It's love, L-O-V-E. And when your compassion is diminished because of your conviction about anything, you're not living life the way Jesus would have you live. Acceptance. Second thing is acknowledgement. We have to acknowledge we belong to the Lord. That's why I said that's what it's all about. We belong to the Lord. Everything about us belongs to him. That's why conversations about giving are so silly. When, when people get frustrated because a pastor talks about giving, you know what? The Bible says if I'm following Scripture, everything I have is from the Lord. 
We don't pass a physical offering plate or bucket anymore. But if we did, if we want to be biblical from Romans 14, we'd put all of us in it. We'd just step in the plate or the bucket. Because we belong to the Lord. And so what that means in this conversation is that everything I do should go through that filter. My freedoms that I have in Christ have to be controlled by the understanding that I first belong to Christ. Does this honor him? And then secondly, I belong to others. So are my actions hurtful to other people? Quick biblical principle. This means it's more about attitude often than action. And the biblical illustration of that, all you have to do is look at Cain and Abel in the Bible. I remember reading that story as a child and thinking, this isn't right. Um, if If you don't remember that, these were Adam and Eve's sons, and they were out working, and Abel brought a gift to the Lord from the first fruit of, of, of his flock and gave it to the Lord. Um, Cain brought a gift from the Lord um, from his harvest, but it wasn't from the first fruits. It was from leftovers. And you see in this crazy story that God seems to play favorites. I remember as a child saying, I don't understand that, Lord. That seems kind of harsh. They're both bringing a gift. And that's when you see that sometimes it's not the matter of the action, it's the matter of the attitude. It's the heart of the issue. Because one, one understood we belonged to the Lord and, and gave their best to God. The other just said, we're, we're going to give of our leftovers. And God says, that's never okay. Acknowledgement. We belong to the Lord. But the last word is accountability. And this is important because this will lead into the rest of our discussion. We need to understand that we're all going to give an account for how we live, how we serve the Lord. And so I've told you several times, this is primarily geared toward those of us who are followers of Christ. Followers of Christ, we're going to give an account. Do you understand that? That should be a big deal for us in our lives. Now, we've been learning that if you follow Jesus, your first judgment, it took place on the cross of Calvary because you looked to Jesus and you were what? justified. Remember, he made it just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd always obeyed. When I die, the Bible says there's a great white throne judgment. It will be determined if your name is in that Lamb's book of life, the book of life. If you've looked to Jesus, it is. So you don't go before that judgment. If your name's not in there, you haven't looked to Jesus, you will then face judgment. You didn't take judgment of your sins on the cross through Jesus. You're saying, no, I'm going to handle that on my own. And so you will experience forever death in hell. But for Christ followers, there is a judgment we have. The Bible calls it the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And so that's what Romans says. That's what Paul says to the church at Rome. Remember, don't forget, guys, y'all are going to stand before the Bema seat. Now, we read that in our day, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why in the world is the Bema seat? But they would have understood. That's why I do trips like this, Journeys of Paul trip. We've got a few more spots. I'd love for you to go. But we will visit the ancient city of Corinth. And in Corinth, we will see a Bema seat, the remains of that. The Bema seat was a raised platform in the city where the city leaders would stand and they would render judgment 
they would speak out about issues or like at the end of a, a, a victory when there's been a battle, the, the soldiers would come by and parade and they would, they would receive treasures, trophies and prizes. And the Bible says that we as Christ followers are accountable to stand before Jesus for everything we've done in our service to him. We're not dealing with unconfessed sin but we're dealing with what we've done good for him. We're dealing with, you know, our, well, how, we, how we used our, our time, how we used our talent, how we used our treasure. Did we understand that we, that we belong to him? And so in light of that, Paul then finishes this chapter. And I'm not going to read all of it to you, but I want you to understand it. He begins by saying, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And instead, make up your mind not to be a stumbling block. In verse 14, he says, I'm convinced, I'm fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing's unclean in itself. But if anything, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So if your brother or sister's distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Don't distress them. Don't stir the pot. Don't cause pain. In verse 17, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. In verse 19, he says, therefore, let us make every effort to, to what leads to peace and mutual edification. Don't destroy, destroy the work of God for food for these disputable issues. I love verse 22. He says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Here's the reality. When we stand in judgment of others, we forget our need for grace and we stand in God's place before them. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, let me help you out as we land the plane. So you can buckle your seat belts, put your seat backs in the upright position. We get around that in church because we say, I'm just keeping them accountable. Is it? Is that what he's talking about? Accountability it means I'm standing between you and a really bad decision or consequence. So accountability would mean look at my friend Manuel. I've known him the whole time I've been here. We went on a mission trip together in my first few days. And accountability would be me saying to Manuel, hey, I see this going on in your life. If you keep going in this path, you're going to run off the road. I don't want you to run off the road. I don't want you to be mad at me, but, but I love you more than your opinion of me. And so I'm going to keep you accountable as a friend in Christ. That's accountability. Judgment is different. Judgment saying, I'm standing between you and God. In fact, it's saying to God, hey, I got this. I'll take care of Manuel, God. You're off the hook. The difference between judgment and accountability is your posture, the position you take. Is it out of love and motivation and relationship? So he's saying avoid judging because when we judge, we, we tend to judge the wrong things. Let me tell you about that. Because we're looking at the specks in other people's eyes while we're ignoring the logs in our own. All you got to do is look on Christian Facebook for that. And, and see how so many of us are quick to speak out about things we're against. that are maybe the big issues that we should be against. But we're not dealing with that stuff that everybody else around us sees in our own life. We tend to judge the wrong people and we tend to judge at the wrong time. I want to tell you something today. You will never be judged on the you'll never be judged on the beliefs and the opinions of others, but you will be judged on how you related to those people that differ with you. 
not the judge of another person. They don't belong to you because we all belong to Christ. But you should be an example of Christ-likeness. So I, I want to give you some, just some practical help before I pray with you. Um, and so remember what we're dealing with. We're dealing with whether this is theological differences or matters of preferences or definitions of sinfulness. See, we could have spent our whole time on issues like that. Is it a sin to go to a movie? Is it a sin to go to a certain rating of movie? Should a Christian drink? Should a Christian not drink? Can we dance? Go back to that one, pastor. So you can put all of those through this filter. What does Paul say? Number one, he says, choose not to be a stumbling block. You've just got to decide, Christ follower, if what I'm doing or how I, I feel and believe about an issue is causing more harm than it is at help, hello, it's probably not worth it. Number two, know what you believe, though. He said in this passage, I expect you to have convictions. Man, some of those issues I've mentioned, I know what I believe on those issues. We don't talk about them every time we gather. They may not be pivotal issues in how we do church, but I, I could say to you, hey, this is what I believe the Bible says on these issues. You should know where you stand on these convictions. It's okay to have convictions. You should. In fact, here's a help to you. I want you to just imagine this word, think. Everybody say think. Use that word think, and this will help guide you. And just as a bonus, this will save you a lot of embarrassment on social media. If you just start living by this principle that someone came up with, number one, is it true? Is it true? It's what I want to do consistent with God's word. Number two, is it helpful? Does this help point people to Jesus? Does it help further the kingdom of God? Number three, is it inspiring? Is it going to make, motivate others to, to be more like Christ? Number four, is it necessary? Do I really need to do this? Not do I want to do this. Not is it okay. Not do I have the freedom to do it. I need to do this. Number five, is it kind? Because guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, we don't have the liberty to be unkind. So go back to my list. You're choosing not to be a stumbling block. You're knowing what you believe. You're keeping Christ central. That's what he said. Stay in the center. Don't get out on the margins, focusing on things you shouldn't be. And then I love number four. Don't say everything you think. Yeah, I said that. You don't have to say everything you think. Everybody doesn't want to know your opinion about everything. Help yourself. Keep your mouth shut and then live peaceably. Hey, I could sum all of this up by saying this. The gospel compels me to sacrifice me for the glory of God. All right? The big picture, the mission, the kingdom of God, his glory is bigger than how I feel about any other issue. When I think about that, what it means is the preeminence of Jesus is more important than the preferences of Paul. Put your name in there. The preeminence of Jesus is more important than the preferences of you. All right. Before I pray, is there any biblical example of this? Yeah. 
It's on the next page. <laughs> in Romans 15, Paul says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ, what? Did not please himself. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 2. He says, if you're going to cop an attitude, have this attitude, the attitude of Christ, who though he was God, took on the very form of a servant, becoming obedient, even to the point of death. So that, by the way, something Paul also says in Romans 14, one day, every knee will bow, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, this is a big deal. Let's get it right. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.